Thank you. Thank you. Do I do it right here? Good. Perfect. Perfect. No, this is good. This is good. Well, um, it, it really is fun. One, you're, um, you just have great people here. Yesterday we had a conference where, which we're calling Energize and Equip Conferences. We're uh, putting on 10 of these throughout the Southwest, and this church had great representation, and you are blessed. And, you know, I uh, was asked to speak a little bit about vision for our churches, and I'm going to do that. But I have to say, God, a whole lot of things that are happening in your church, the way you're put together, the way you give away love and kindness, you know, you can come in and you can feel something, then you feel that this is a safe place, you, you feel that this is a place that you could come and, and uh, have some things that are stressful and some things going majorly wrong, and you'd be okay here, you'd be welcome, but... More than that, this is a place where I just feel hope. And so I just celebrate. I celebrate what God's done and, and who you are. And um, I used to be in Alaska. That was mentioned. And I had the great honor of uh, leading covenant churches in Alaska. And the Eskimo people uh, did me a uh, great honor. They... Uh, gave me an Eskimo name and made me, in their eyes, Eskimo. And uh, uh, they, the name they gave me was Beluga, the white whale. <laughs> then they said, Paul, it's a name of great honor. And then they laughed. I, I have the uh, great honor in Alaska. It has been a mission region because it was started in the Covenant Church in Eskimo villages, very, very remote areas. And um, it's becoming a conference, like uh, the Pacific Southwest Conference. And they've given me the great honor. I get to be the keynote speaker and love the people. And this just will just show you a little bit quirky how I'm wired. I was given an invitation to speak in, uh, on the big island of Hawaii and to speak in a little village in the middle of winter on the Bering Sea, 500 miles from the nearest road. And... I'm taking the one on the Bering Sea. So um, it, it's, an honor, it's an honor to be here. So we're going to talk about vision for the conference, and I'm going to do it this way. I've decided to give you what I think is the hardest commandment in Scripture. Okay, so I'm not going to be pulling any punches there. And you may, uh, you may think about that. What, what is the toughest commandment in Scripture? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give that to you in just a second, what I think it is. But what we're going to talk about is who you are, and what you get to do. And that's kind of it for the vision for Scripture. It has to do with who you are, who we are, what you get to do, what we get to do. Toughest commandment in Scripture, I think, is in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Ephesians 5, verse 1. First few words. Be imitators of God. How about that? I mean, you almost want to quit before you even begin. Be imitators of God. Is there anybody here who this morning had a hard time being an imitator of a halfway decent person? Be imitators of God. But the chronological beginning is the next phrase. And I want to remind you what we're doing here because this has everything to do with what is central, what is important in your life. It's who you are and what you get to do. 
The next phrase is, is, tells us who we are. And it's the chronological beginning. It, be, it comes before being imitators of God. As dearly loved children. The greatest thing that can ever happen to a person. Your true identity is described in that phrase. I may ask you who you are. And you could tell me true important things. You might, you might tell me about your vocation. You might talk about a role of, of being a mom, a, a, a grandparent, a, a child, a friend. And you, you, when I ask you who you are, you may, you may go right into who you aren't. Because sometimes we're carrying on this conversation in our head of, of you know, like, like, why do you always do that? You never get this right. When are you ever going to get it together? Your true identity, the greatest thing that can ever happen to you, and I will tell you, the center of the deepest longings that are still in our hearts are that we are created to be children of God. It's the greatest thing that could ever be said about you, is that you're a child of God. And God doesn't force his fatherhood on any of us, but if you have said yes to the invitation of God, you're his child. It's the greatest thing that can happen. And you'll, you'll, you'll notice there that there's an adjective. You're not just a child of God, but we're told that you're the loved child of God. Now, I, I want to suggest something to you here. If we get a few degrees off from our true identity of being children, and we are just grasping and aspiring and using different kind of measurements and having different kinds of hopes, we get a few degrees off from true identity. What happens with a person is they become anxious, fearful, and the joy goes away. I know this is basic stuff. The greatest thing that's ever happened to you is that you're a child of God and you are a loved child of God. And I think we have depersonalized God oftentimes Love is more than emotion, but the only reason that you can experience, and I can experience emotions like, like, like joy or sorrow, is because we're created in the image of God. And God experiences emotion, but he experiences God-sized emotion. And so, get ready for it, and you got to receive it, but God feels for you God-sized love. So just deal with it. <laughs> you are his loved child. I don't know. I've, I've visited with some of you, but I can't say I know any of you well, but I can tell you something that's true for you. If, if you're in a conversation with someone, you ever been, you ever been in a, like a party or a group of people and someone's talking to you? but you don't feel like you really matter to them? If you're in a conversation and you don't feel like you matter to that person, that's an empty experience. Even if they're doing, so, you, ever, you ever in a group and somebody's talking to you, but they're kind of looking over the shoulder to see if they can find some of them better? <laughs> if, if you don't feel like you matter, it's, it's empty. Well, you matter to God, and we like it when we matter. And there is something that happens. I have been blessed 
since the time I was 14 till now. I know you'll think I'm lying. I'm 58 now, and you'll say, no, he's a liar. He's 38 up there. But from, <laughs> I, I have always been in a place where people are coming to faith in Jesus, and, and just, it's just a journey God's led me on. I've worked it with a lot of different cultures, with people of notoriety and, and uh, people who are uh, live in towns that you've never heard of, and, and, and it, all, it all feels the same to me. It all feels the same, that it's really, really important because I know anyone I've ever been with matters to God. And so that makes it an incredible honor to be with them in any place. And we love it when we matter. Um, I, I, we, we had a dog. We lived in Alaska, moved down to uh, California. Uh, this was uh, 12 years ago. It had one of those big Alaska dogs, and we just loved our dog. Dog lived to be 14, died, buried it in the backyard. You know, we all cried, had a little service. And then afterwards, I thought about it, and the truth is, dogs are kind of a pain. And so, you know, and, and we had big dogs, I mean, tore up the backyard. And, um, you know, the first time, we, our family, we've never spent much on vacations. You know, we go camping and stay with relatives. First time we go on a vacation, I had to pay more for the pet hospital for that doggone dog than we spent on ourselves. So... That's what my Eskimo friends, he, they warned me. They said they're goofy in California, and I'm here to give testimony. They are. You're lucky you're a good state away, you know. <laughs> well, so I tell the family no more dogs. I lay it down. I'm, I'm the dad. I say it. Well, about two weeks later, my middle son brought home a dog. And I live in Oakland. Hey, thank you for sporting the silver and black here. We got a Raider fan right here. Silver and black. He does it on his shirt, his shorts, his hair right here. Well, you know, um, the, uh, so uh, brings home this dog and there's a certain breed of dog that's in the newspaper every once in a while for doing bad things. What is that breed of dog? Okay, now I just want to tell you something. There are pit bulls, and I've never been around a pit bull, and I wasn't very excited. There are pit bulls, and then there are pit bulls from Oakland. Did you hear me here? And then there are pit bulls from Oakland, and then there are stray pit bulls from Oakland. And then there are stray pit bulls from Oakland, but this one's name just happened to be Bullet. And so... He brings home Bullet, the stray pit bull from Oakland, who, by the way, weighs 85 pounds. And I said, no dogs, and especially not this dog. After 15 minutes, I love this dog. And it may sound superficial, but this dog loves me. I matter to him, and it makes me feel good. And it may, may, may just seem crazy, but did I matter to bullet, the stray pit bull from Oakland, that I matter, it does something for me because I like mattering. When I go home, I, that dog is so excited to see me, it, it runs up to me and it is a powerful dog and he just wants to kiss me all over my face. 
and I got to hold him back like this. I just got to hold him back. He just wants to kiss me. And I've been married 34 years, and it's been a while since I've had to fight my wife off like that. You know what I'm telling you? (laughs) Dwayne's got a different story. He's got a different story. It's been a while, so I may seem superficial, but I like, I like that. Right now, that dog is probably miserable that I'm not at home, just looking at a picture of me, weeping big Oakland pit bull tears. Well, friends, my vision is to tell us who we are. We are the loved children of God, and God feels God-sized love for him, or for us, We matter to him. And that's the greatest thing that could ever happen to a person. And there isn't anybody you'll ever meet anywhere that doesn't matter to him. And that's why sharing about Jesus is so much fun for me with people. And if you came in here today, and if you were to be asked authentically, are you a follower of Jesus? And you'd say, Um, No, I I can't really say that. I want to say it's the greatest thing that could ever happen to you. And this God loves you like that. He loves you like that. Well, there's another word. So, the imitators of God as dearly loved children. Just to put more accent on it. You you, You got the adjective, the loved. You got the dearly, the adverb. You are the dearly loved child of God. Live from that place. There's nothing you can do to get away from uh, the reality of that identity other than just not living it, believing it for yourself. And I'll tell you, there is a complete difference when we live from that place. It's interesting how the insecurity goes away. This thing of of covering to want to present ourselves as, as being okay goes away. And it's amazing how the joy and the peace and the possibilities flood in. I want to show you a picture. This is a buddy of mine. This is uh, Jamron Fall. Jamron uh, is Cambodian. He was living in Oakland, living in poverty. And uh, he and I now uh, speak together. Uh, quite a bit. And whenever we speak together, I just got to say this, Jamron always buys us matching shirts. <laughs> By the way, they're different size. I he always buys us matching shirts. And I say, Jamron, the two of us need to work on the cool factor just a little bit, and the, and the, and the shirts aren't helping. <laughs> well, um, I, I met Jamron, I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you, I met him... Um, like 10 years and two months ago. The reason I can remember is he sent me a text on a Saturday night a couple months ago. And he said, Paul, we met 10 years ago tonight. And then he said some very sweet things to me. And he gave me the exact time that we met. And so a sweet, sweet guy. And in our church in Oakland, it was a church that was 95% white and now um, is very, very, very diverse. And um, we, we have over 50, and so I'm, this is the church I pastored up till like seven, eight months ago. Um, 
over 50 survivors of the Khmer Rouge. And so the, if you don't know Khmer Rouge, that was a time in Cambodia at the beginning of this communist takeover. There was an estimated 7 million people living in Cambodia. After um, three years, eight months, and 20 days, it was about 4 million people. So in our church family, of all those people who were adults during that time or were, were teens, not one of them didn't have at least one close family member murdered. That meant a wife, a brother, um, children, um, terrible, terrible, terrible. And so when it comes to suffering, I think most of us would say, yeah, this is at a level that's much deeper. Well, I was over with Jamran in Cambodia, and I asked him if he would like to go back to where he was imprisoned. He'd been back to Cambodia many, many times, but he had not gone back to that place. And I said, I, I go there with you, and we can, um, you know, just I'll be quiet and we can stay there as short a time or as long a time. I, mean, I pray, but, you know, you think about it. And so after a day, Jamran said he would like to go back. And so I don't know what I was expecting. I, I, I was expecting something nightmarish, but it was actually a very beautiful place in the midst of these rice fields, very pristine. Um, and we were up on a levee. And go ahead and put that next picture up there. And so we were, we were there. And Jamran has entrusted me with telling more of the story of what happened to him than he has with anyone else. And it's a terrible story. If you've read the book Unbroken, it's far, far worse than would be in that book. It was, it was nightmarish. And so Jamran would, we would walk and he would say, Paul, this is where this happened. And he would reference something, the, uh, the killing of a friend, or one of the many times that he was tortured in ways that uh, are just too terrible to think about. We would go further, and he would say, Paul, this is where this happened. And maybe he was referencing one of the many times that he was beaten several times to unconsciousness go someplace else and say, Paul, this is where this happened and where he had to watch something very terrible happen to someone he loved. And then he pointed to the irrigation ditch and said, Paul, that's where it happened. And I knew what he was talking about. And where we are in the text is what we get to do, okay? He pointed and to the irrigation ditch, and what happened there, I knew the story well. It was one of the many times that he was beaten and beaten to unconsciousness, but this time he was um, kicked face down into the irrigation ditch, and so if he was still alive, that he would drown. Now, he doesn't know what happened. There was so much brutality in those days, but something got the guards attention, and they went somewhere else. And his brothers went to the ditch, took him out, helped him regain consciousness, and then they brought him to his feet. And when Jamran, being held up by his brothers, was on his feet, he looked to the sky, and he wasn't a Christian, 
But he knew the name of Jesus. And he knew a little bit about Jesus. And he spoke to the heavens and said a three-word prayer. Jesus, save me. And in that moment, Jimron believes that God spoke to him. He knows something happened to him that radically transformed him. I believe God spoke to him and touched him and did some kind of extraordinary healing in him. Because Jimron didn't know the story of the gospel yet. It would be later that he would commit his life to Jesus. But he said God spoke to him and said, Jimron, you never have to hate again. You get to love everyone. Now, I want you to hear this. This is in the midst of still the torturing was going to go on and the terrible things. But Jamron said in that moment, he had a love for everyone, including his captors, including the architect of the evil, his commandant of the camp. He loved them. And he was changed. And I've had the honor of meeting people who knew him before and after and who were in that camp and the rest. And they said it was, it was amazing and it was hard for them to understand. Who are we? We're God's dearly loved children. Let's go back to Ephesians 5.1. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. What I'd like to suggest is when we give in to that thing that we're dearly loved children... Imitating the ways of Jesus is something that we want to do. Does that make sense? When we live out of our true identity, we want to have the courage, the compassion, this, this, this way of doing life like Jesus. The next clause, it's what we get to do and live a life of love. Live a life of love. We get to love everybody. The, the rest of the verses, just as Jesus has, who's loved us and given his life up for us as a fragrant offering. We get to love everybody. Well, after um, we were there for a while, Jimron said something to me, and I'll, I'll be honest, I wasn't very excited about what Jimron wanted to do. You see, I'm a reader, and in all the books I've ever read, and I like movies and all the movies I've ever seen. I've never read about or heard about anyone as evil as the commandant of what took place where he was imprisoned in the Khmer Rouge. And Jimron said, Paul, I know where the commandant lives. He's still alive. And he lives in a village not far from here. I want to go and invite him out to dinner. Now, I also believe in justice. Do you hear me? And so I'm, 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 I'll be honest, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a little, I, I, believe in, I believe in love and I believe in justice, but uh, I got to tell you, sometimes you know when the Spirit's leading, and the Spirit was leading. And so we went out to dinner, and so here's the three of us. Now, if you look at me, the beluga, <laughs> I got a smile on my face, but I can fake it. Because I'm thinking a bunch of different things here. Now, if you look at the commandant, I think he's worried. 
I think he's wondering what the big beluga's doing there. Put a bop on him, and he wasn't too far off. But then if you look at Jamran, he is living in wonder. Jesus said, and I think it's the part of the gospel, really, friends, I mean, I, I seriously, that I think Christians haven't quite fully embraced, and I believe it is full gospel. Jesus said that our love was even to be love of our enemies. And remember, he said that during Roman occupation. And the, what the Romans did was far more severe and horrible than is shown in films. It was a terrible, terrible experience. He said, we get to love everybody. I got to just tell you, it's our birthright. It's our birthright. It's incredible. Um, Jimron shared the good news of Jesus with the commandant, and he didn't receive it. And Jimron, can you see in my face, or uh, my friend's face? This is a face of someone who's given in to the fullness of Jesus. We get to love everybody. We get to love people who uh, don't treat us well. We get to love people who are, are hard on us. We, we get to love people who disagree with us. We get to love people who don't have the same values that you might have. We get to love people who have different morality. We get to love people who've got different politics. We get, we get to love everybody. And so here's my testimony. Every time I have seen people give in to this thing of being dearly loved children of God and just saying, okay, I'm going to love everyone and God, I'm going to pray and I ask this to be released. I see it happen again and again and again and communities are transformed. They get sticky and people come to faith. People are healed. People dream dreams that they wouldn't dream before. They go deeper and they go further and this is your birthright. You get to do this. Don't overthink it. <laughs> you know, we have all kinds of measuring sticks. You know, does this person measure up uh, to, for me to love them? Does my past experience, does the measuring stick, does it work? Jesus broke all the measuring sticks. We get to love everybody. So... Vision we have for our churches. So, uh, being superintendent, what this means is I get to be I get to be a pastor that's like you don't see very often. Okay, and here's the thing: I love you a lot more than you'd realize, <laughs> and 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 I pray for you, and I have the great honor to encourage and serve and and um, shepherd uh, the pastors and leaders in in our churches. I, I just want to just share a couple of things dream-wise. Um, most people in most places, we, we would say that uh, making followers, doing the work of Jesus has always been a challenge, right? Hasn't it always been a challenge? Most people in most places are saying in the last several years that the challenges have gone higher. And so I believe God has called us to equip leaders in ways that are deeper and stronger. And so that's why yesterday we did a conference uh, that was at your church, and people from different covenant churches came. We're going to be doing that once a year. That's just one way we're going to seek to equip. We're seeking to find ways to coach and equip 
pastors, and we're envisioning things, quite honestly, that haven't been done before, and people were testing them, and there's a lot of great things. So, But what this all is, is that all of us get to become who God created us to be. Does that make sense? Everybody. And here's the thing, you can't think you're too young for this, because right now, you are who God wants you to be. By the way, when it comes to age, is anybody surprised at how old they are now? Just raise your hand every once in a while. I mean, just kind of surprised. Do you know you are exactly the age God wants you to be right now? And it is amazing what can happen when we give in to this. Um, I get credited for starting lots and lots of ministries and such. Here's the truth. Uh, almost none of it's true. <laughs> the stories get real good when there's more distance, too. I got to tell you that, Dwayne. Um, what I get to do, what I feel good about, is um, God has called me to help others become who he's called them to be. And so I can hear heart, vision, map things out, and equip and train. So I want to tell you, next year when we're doing a conference, if you're any kind of uh, uh, you know, a leader in any capacity, uh, in your neighborhood, in your household, in, uh, with children, you're on a board or whatever, you come and you receive because we want to grow you up. And my experience is, you see, we, we don't want to tell you what to do. We want to invest in what God has called you to do. We want to grow you up and see what happens. Now, with my buddy here, um, I uh, trained him up in church planting and uh, and developing leaders. And so he learned our principles. He brought them to Cambodia. And it's just amazing. Out of Oakland, a guy living in poverty has now planted 67 churches in Cambodia. And um, right now, uh, he's in, and it's just, been, it's just been an incredible, incredible journey. And so my testimony is, God is alive. He is continuing to move. But friends, I got to say, superficial Christianity will disillusion you. Go for the real thing. You are dearly loved children of God. You are that. What do you get to do? You get to live a life of love. As you're praying for God's will in your life, realize that most of it is just to act that out. Love the person in front of you. Love, continue to love that person who resists you. If um, I feel led to talk about family members, if you have a family member who's breaking your heart, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a grandchild, maybe it's someone, someone else, continue to love and be gracious and put that open hand out there, okay? Continue to do that. You get to. When this happens, the spirit of Jesus is released. If you are not a follower of Jesus, and that's, that's not who you've been, but you want to be a real deal follower of Jesus, or maybe it's been more pretend, And this morning, you know that God is talking to you. You didn't plan on it. I want to invite you to have a conversation with God and make a new beginning today with him. Let's close our eyes and pray.
I just want everybody, I, I want everyone here, I want you to try to picture Jesus looking at you. And so he's looking at you and, and you see his eyes of love. And he's saying, you were created to be the dearly loved child of my father. Will you accept that relationship today in a deeper way? And if, if you want to say yes and, and say, yes, I want that. I want that more deeply. I want that. Just tell him so. If coming in here today, you would say, even if people think so, that you really haven't been a follower of Jesus. And so that's you. Which Jesus is looking at you and see the eyes of Jesus. And he says, will you receive this relationship as a dearly loved child of my father? Will you become my follower? And I want you to look into the eyes of Jesus and you can say yes or no. If that's you and you want to say yes this morning, go ahead and raise your hand. Go ahead and raise your hand if you want to say yes to Jesus. With the hands up, God knows what those hands mean. And if you're beginning that relationship today, God bless you and make sure you talk to someone about that. And Father, I just pray your spirit on these people. I pray, I thank you for the pastoral leadership here for Pastor Dwayne and Brandon and, and, and all the rest. And continue to do your work. Deepen and deepen. Give us great joy in living this life of love. It's in the name of Jesus, our Savior and hope, we pray. Amen. Let's express.